Medtronic Technologies impacted more than 72 million people in the last year, equating to two people every second. Harnessing the power of technology to take healthcare further, each technology has unique benefits designed to serve patients. The goal of this program is to get closer to the patient and delve into the challenges and impact of each technology in practice. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. The McGrath Mac video laryngoscope and McGrath Mac disposable laryngoscope blades are intended to be used by trained and licensed individuals to gain a view of the vocal cords during medical procedures. Medtronic's medical education programs are offered to provide attendees education on the FDA-cleared indications and use of our products when applicable. The contents and conclusions of the following program are solely those of the speakers unless otherwise cited. The speakers are responsible for all content and necessary permissions. The speakers received funding from Covidian LP, a Medtronic company, for this speaking engagement. For this segment of the series, a discussion on safe airway management, why is airway management like a maze? To help provide insight into this topic is Dr. Felipe Ordenera, academic anesthesiologist at both UF Health and Gainesville VA Medical Center. Well, my interest with airway management began a long time ago. And I consider this issue of airway management and particularly about intubation um, like a maze, right? Whether you work in the anesthesia surgical context, that is, you're an anesthesia provider, anesthesiologist, or nurse anesthetist, or nurse assistant, um, and you work with mainly in the operating room, you deal a lot with intubation, but you may also be working um, outside the, the anesthesia surgical context. You may be working outside of the operating room, uh, say, for example, in the emergency department or in the ICU, or even outside the hospital in case you are, you are, are an ambulance, whether a car ambulance or even a helicopter ambulance. You know that we deal with a, a lot of issues with, uh, with intubation. There's a lot, many things that... Um, we cannot really deduct from the current evidence level that we have, and, and we have to interpret a lot. And obviously we, we improve with time, but there's a lot of things that are left outside. And, and that's something that, that I wanna deal with here today. So for me, when do I consider that the modern airway management began? I think um, even though it started uh, second half of, of the 20th century, I think that the, the the most important thing happened when the ASA guidelines were published in 1993. Let's remember that this were the answer to many of the problems and one problem in specific that they were trying to address in the closed claims analysis. At that time, one third of anesthesia events were respiratory in nature. And 85% of those claims that were basically dealt with in the legal um, department, et cetera, were related to mortality or neurological damage. And that was mainly, a lot of them were due to mismanagement of the airway. So that's what prompted basically the college and the society and all that to get a multidisciplinary group of people and, and try to see if we, there was able to have some strategy, some new devices, et cetera, so we can tackle with this problem that was basically plaguing our specialty in that in the area, 1990. So most of you, I presume, were born or maybe um, were young when that, when that happened. I know I was just starting my uh, anesthesia training uh, at that time when, when this came out and completely changed my life. Now, it is it's worth, and I like to look at things kind of in the context uh, 
time-wise. And if we basically fire up our DeLorean and we look back in time since 1993, and we look back at the latest iteration of the closed claims analysis, which was published in 2019, you can see that surprisingly, the mortality remains the same, 85%. So really no change whatsoever. So you may be negative and say, well, maybe we have not made any progress, but that's not the case. The issue is the fact that now, basically our airway management is being done in a variety of patients and settings that you have pediatric patient, you have ICU, you have out of the operating room, um, for example, the cath lab or, or GI suite, um, ICU, or you may be in the field, even so to speak, if you're a, a military medic. And that's what basically, that's what the, our patients have become quite more challenging. In fact, and this is data from 2018 when you're dealing with a sick patient, and this is a typical patient of mine, I deal with adult patients in the, in the geriatrics, uh, the, those difficult patients that are sometimes drinkers, sometimes smokers, actually most of the time, is the fact that when I try to intubate them for the first time, I fail in about 30% of the time. About 25% of the time, that is one quarter of our patients deset during the process of intubation to less than 80%. And I have a complication in a quarter percent of the time, 25% of the time. So we're dealing with basically very sick individuals and therefore airway management has become, even though it was always important, it has become crucial. And I don't need to remind you that we are in COVID era. So in COVID era, those COVID patients that required mechanical ventilation and intubation are really high risk and at the end of the rope, and so to speak. And, and what we know now is that a lot of them are more prone to hypoxia, um, to, even though despite that we have first passive success, success up to 95%, which is tremendously good by experienced providers, they still become hypoxic in a great percentage of time. Now, this point, I want to I want to kind of pause for a second and look at the proverbial elephant in the room. Think about the last time you experienced uh, difficulty when handling an airway or performing an intubation. I remember it as if it was yesterday. And one of the things that 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 prompted me the the interest in airway management is 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 that in a certain percentage of patients. The, you know, despite anything that we did, it were very difficult to get the tube in, which was our main method of uh, definitive airway management. And right now, after all that said and done, we have basically two modalities for performing laryngoscopy. You either are direct or indirect laryngoscopy. And what is basically the difference among them is obviously one of them you uh, have a direct path and angle of view and basically establish an, a path of a line of sight with a, with the laryngeal opening with your blade. And then the other one, you do it indirectly via some form of a screen that can be outside or even in the handle itself, which to me is ideal because I don't need to turn my head or move around. So to me, that that's basically ideal. Now, despite the fact that they were basically released or that were discovered or invented in the early 2000s, they were not clinically approved or widespread use until the mid 2000s. And still in 2021 and almost at the end of 2021, we have no uniform role for them at the present time. Some people considered, for example, that uh, video laryngoscopy should be 
used routinely, so for routine use. Others consider that it should only be done when you fail another attempt or as a rescue modality. And some people consider it only for high-risk patients. So it depends on where you are in this spectrum, then basically we can, we can go forward and I, I can get different perspective of, of where you are here. My perspective is that I think it should be done and used routinely um, because I think it's without a doubt a, a step above and maybe actually more than one step above what we had uh, and when I was in training and when I was actually a, a young attending, I did like to consider myself young, but not that young, so to speak. But there are two main obstacles to that ideal scenario that I'm telling you about that of having a routine use. And I think two, two main obstacles are one is basically we don't have sufficient evidence specifically to determine which device or group of devices is better than others. And another thing that's very important is the economical factor. I think economy is a crucial um, aspect of the use of video laryngoscopy. And there is no argument, no discussion that takes place in which anything related to the monetary aspect of the use of video laryngoscopy is not brought up. One of the things that I want to determine here today is, is the fact that, yes, monetary aspect is one of the main arguments against the use of routine, the routine use of video laryngoscopy. And one of the things that I want to basically leave you with, kind of plant the seed on you, is one question that I asked myself a couple of many years ago was, is it really true that video laryngoscopy is more expensive? So think for that for a moment. You perhaps deal with this on a personal basis. You may deal with people that tell you, oh no, it's too expensive. I cannot use it routinely. I don't have it, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, is, is it really the fact that video laryngoscopy is more expensive? Please tune in next week for a new segment from this series wherever you find your podcast. This is the Medtronic MedEd Learning Experience. Thank you for listening.